Welcome to episode 7 of Vox Pop and this week we talk to Duncan from Gloucestershire. Uh, Duncan has been listening to the podcast for a little while, he had something to say. I'm very pleased that he contacted us because, um, yes, I think he does too. Uh, so we're talking about a lot of the usual issues that, are de- that are, we're dealing with on a daily basis at the moment, but also um, he brings his experience as somebody that works in and advises companies on personnel issues into the discussion. So uh, I hope that you find this short podcast interesting. Without further ado, uh, Duncan from Gloucestershire. Hello to you. Uh, hello, Sam. How are you? I'm very well. Good to um, good to speak to you at last. It's been uh, we've been we've been texting and what have you for a little while, haven't we? In terms of um, having a sit down and having a bit of a chat about the the current sort of um, score and and what have you. With perfectly timed today because uh, we're recording on Tuesday the fourteenth of September, and um, it's been um, well. I don't know if it's been a big day because all these announcements are all taken with a pinch of salt as far as I'm concerned nowadays but have you had chance to listen to the Fat Blair's I was going to call him the Prime Minister Fat Blair's um, announcements this afternoon no I haven't actually um, no. and that's partly because I avoid the news as much as possible um, and I generally pick up the latest things from Twitter but uh, I've been at a funeral this afternoon so um, I have been completely dark so I know nothing right well, it's what's nothing... been going on. So do yeah, do do feel free to fill me in if you'd like. Well, I, I, to be honest, a lot of it I, I I watched the edited highlight twice, and it washed over me, and I honestly can't really remember what he said because he blusters along in that idiotic, um, what I think used to be slightly endearing sort of um, manner, which now I just find really annoying um yes he um he basically has gone back on everything again that was announced on whenever it was sunday and then was renounced yesterday he's basically said uh the the plan is that we will reserve the reserve options to do everything we did before again uh plus a vaccine passport and we will bring the vaccine passport in within a week if we need to, should cases rise. So lockdowns are still available, mask wearing still available to them. Um, um, and then they're obviously going to hijack us with a seven day roll in. So all the bi- basically every business is now going to have to prepare for something which they've said yesterday or Sunday they, would, they were not going to do. And I think, in fact, Javid said it either this morning or yesterday again, that um, he could see no reason to do it. So the thing that they can see no technical reason to do, they're going to plan for and introduce within a week uh, when they need to. So that's pretty much it. And then, of course, there's the vaccination of children using Gillick competence uh, loophole. So... um, so it's been yes. a wonderful uh, 72 hours, really. Well, what a day. Well, it was probably worth a funeral, wasn't it, to miss all that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have to say that nothing... I mean, I think most of us on what you might call our side um, have got to the point quite some time ago where literally nothing would surprise us anymore. Yeah. And um, I noticed when I 
still used to occasionally glance at the BBC website. Uh, and this is going back well over a year. Yes, considerably more than a year, I think. The thing I noticed was that the minute the media started talking about it, it was going to happen. Yes. Um, and I used to call it seeding. I'm sure not the only per- I'm not the only person to have done that, but I used to think, well, if it's being seeded in the media, whether it was passports, vaccinations, or lockdowns, or masks in schools, masks everywhere else, the minute you saw it being floated by the media, you just thought, well, you know, they're hand in glove anyway with the government, so you know it's going to happen. So I would I would try and make whatever uh, changes, preparations I could because I knew it was coming, and I can't think of a I can't think of anything that didn't come in after being seeded. So, um, but I guess now it's the it's the PM himself doing the yeah doing the well, seeding. Well, I suppose um, it is. I mean, it was already as you say. I, I to be honest, now I I mean I don't watch TV like a lot of people. Um, I haven't for a long time, but a lot of people now don't watch much the way of TV. But uh, so I just get it from snippets and what have you on the internet. But um, it was pretty. I mean, they've. I think there's an element. There's there has to be an element. I read. Um, I forgot the name of the book. I'm, I'm bloody awful at remembering these things. Um, a state of fear. State of fear. Is it with um, Laura Dodsworth? The, That's the, the one. Uh, I'm. Yep. I'm currently approximately two thirds of the way through it, but I have to keep putting it down because it makes me so angry, and I don't really want to bandy the word depressed around because it doesn't really make me depressed, but it just makes me so angry that I. I can only take that book in small chunks because it just drives me crazy. Yeah. I I read it by audiobook because I just find it so much easier when you're in the car and things. You can just turn it on and, and you can, you know, you can listen to a couple of hours on a, a journey somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it probably makes it a little bit easier because it's, it's a bit like listening to a podcast. But what I found, um, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but... To be honest, none of none of what she said in the book. I don't think there was anything that surprised me, other than, I mean, it was a really well researched and referenced book. So, whereas if I had said it, it would have just been some loony tune saying these things. She had actually looked into it, referenced it, spoken to um, some people around the great and the good, and had actually got um, the evidence. So. I think it was really useful, and, and I think she's done a great job in highlighting to what I would call um, normies, um, um, to use the, the kids' terms, um, in terms of uh, you know people that would perhaps wouldn't have thought any of this was possible. Um, well, I didn't really think much of this was possible, but um, you know, so I think she's done a good job in highlighting just how depraved these people are and how much they're. I mean, we are. I consider ourselves the enemies now. Of oh, I consider the state my enemy um I, I don't trust them i think they have no interest in my um and when i say my um best interest i don't mean me personally i mean you know as a citizen i don't think they have any interest in our best interests at, at, at all uh which is as you say not depressing but it does make you rather angry um but none of it was new to me i don't think i, I perhaps some bits but I, I was aware of the 77th and I was aware of all the various departments sort of linked to GCHQ and the disinformation and the way that they seed, as you say, seed things into the into the media. Um, the complicity of the media has been pretty obvious over the last 18 months, I think. Um, is there anything new for you or, do you, or is it just a confirmation of 
what you suspected or already thought? Well, I mean, I haven't finished the book yet, as I, as I said. And apart from learning technical things, such as the name of different departments and that sort of thing, no, there was nothing really that was new or surprising. But it was it was a bit of a shock to just see it set down in the way that it has been. Um, but it's interesting, actually, what you say about about normies, and I agree that's an increasingly kind of tempting term to use. Um, I mean, for example, I was I was down in Cornwall a few weeks ago, um, and I happened to have one of those wonderful life-affirming conversations with somebody that I just happened to be sitting next to on the harbour. And, you know, you sort of raise your eyes and just sort of, you know, get chatting and, you know, one of you lets slip something that's a little bit sort of anti anti the narrative. And then suddenly, of course, the floodgates open. And then within two minutes, you're both saying, oh, have you heard of so-and-so? Do you listen to James Poll? Do you do this? Do you do that? And of course, very often the answer is yes. And this chap reached into his bag and said, have you ever heard of this book? And before he pulled the book out, I thought, I know what that book's going to be. And he pulled it out of his bag and it was Laura Dodsworth's book, A State of Fear. And I said, well, Yes, I do know. And I just told him pretty much exactly what I've told you, that I'm partway through it. But I wonder whether that book is getting to the normies in the first place. You know, it's being read by people on what we might call our side. But is it is it even on their radar? Because I, I don't think it is, because everyone on the normie side that I've spoken to about it has never heard of it. And that's a problem. Yeah. Or, or one of the problems, you know, one of the main problems. No, you might you might well be right. It's very difficult to. I mean, of course, the problem. I mean, because I don't watch uh, TV. Um, I haven't watched TV for probably six years, but I don't watch TV. But the danger with that, um, it's not that I think I'm missing anything of value because I'm certainly not. But um, it's a bit like the it's the equivalent of the water cooler moment. You're not getting the same information as everybody else. It's very difficult, especially if you're working from home or not in a, an office environment. It's very difficult to get an idea of what the average person is thinking. And and together with things like Twitter, if you're bouncing around in an echo chamber in social media with people that are of like mind, it is quite difficult to establish exactly what the average Joe is thinking. Um, so no, I, I, I think you'd make a fair point there. Um, I think what well, is you, good... No, go sorry, on, go sorry. On. No, fire well, on. I was going to say that I, I think, I totally agree that it's it's very difficult to know what they're thinking. But I think we can make a reasonably educated guess based on people's behaviour. Um, and I'll give you a small example, and it's from this very day. So I went to this funeral, and, he, and my uncle who died was a very well-liked individual. So the, he was 83, and he was very sick. And so it wasn't a surprise that he he died, bless him. But And the funeral was pretty well turned out. Uh, there were probably 60 uh, Odd people there, something like that. I don't know actually, but you know, maybe I don't know how I don't know how many people are allowed, but it seemed like there were quite a few. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure that apart from the priest, it was a Roman Catholic funeral, but apart from the priest, I think there were four of us in the congregation that didn't wear a mask. Oh, now, now, masks masks in that church are not compulsory, and they don't. They're quite. Um, a light touch on things like that. They, I read their guidance just out of sheer interest. Mm. So I wasn't planning on wearing one anyway. Um, and I was one of only four without, mask, without a mask on. And then 
it was one of these churches that's got a little church hall next door and they did the usual cups of tea and cake and whatnot afterwards. Um, I mean, for an Irish Catholic uh, funeral, it was, um, it was startlingly <laughs> dry, I have to say. Um, I was expecting bottles of Jameson's, but, uh, but you know, nothing, nothing of the kind, sadly. Anyway, that's another, <laughs> that's another story. So anyway, <clears throat> we, we get to this, uh, this wake next door. And of course, everyone's got their mask off and they're hugging and talking and chatting away. And it looked completely normal. It looked completely normal. And it could have happened at any day in any year in history, mm. potentially. Yet the very same people were shuffling into the church next door, diligently wearing their masks. And I said to my wife as we were driving home, I said, it's just conditioned ritualistic behavior and one thing she said to me was can they see how ridiculous it is you know they're they're voluntarily wearing a mask in a church yet they're removing it in the wake afterwards um but no one seemed to comment on it it just seemed normalized it was well yes we do these ridiculous things because that's what we do now um, and I detest the phrase new normal beyond words that I have to describe how much I hate it. Yeah. But it, we came away just utterly despairing at this sheer acceptance. So going back to the point I made you know, a couple of minutes ago, even though we may not know quite how they feel and what they think, I think we can deduce from their behaviour that they have absolutely been conditioned in a way that Laura Dodsworth does talk about in that book. Yeah, I think conditioning definitely. And I and I do actually put a lot of it down to, I mean, I've always been, um, well, certainly in the last five years, I've certainly not been somebody who's been a, a great um, believer in the state. But I, I think, um, um, and sort of politically, I've never been a fan of a big state anyway. But um I think the fact that I wasn't watching TV and I don't listen to... I used to listen to Radio 4 um, in the morning, um, Today programme, religiously, tw 10 years ago, probably. Um, mm. And I just slowly, over time, just got to the point where I, I just thought, well, it just ruins my morning. I'm not going to listen to this rubbish anymore. So I stopped doing it. But th therefore, yeah. you know, you you think, well, if you... If, the good thing is, if because I think we're all open to, I think we can all be conditioned. But I think the good thing is that if we, if I think I'm lucky that I wasn't watching the TV and I wasn't listening to the radio, and those people that do regularly consume mainstream media and are still able to wade through it and and see through it, I've got a great deal of respect for because, um, you know, I wonder whether if I had been, if I had been open to it if it had been because it's been on constantly, has it? As far as I can understand it. I mean, whenever I get in the car, I put the radio on. Um, it was just constant, so I used to turn the radio off and um, put a podcast on instead. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what I, I do. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, but my mother, who's who's in her just you know, about just nearly eighty, um, she you know she watches BBC, she watches ITV, um, she's on her own, she watches TV. It's in the background most of the day, and um, and I pop over to see her. It's a constant. It's just constantly in the background. Telling you all sorts of horrors. I I I, I turn it off as soon as I go in and just uh, 
I mean, she doesn't. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's background noise to her anyway. But the trouble is, you do absorb it, and she has a completely different view of what's happening to to me, as you might expect. Um, Yes. Well, well, I think that generation. I mean, we do. I've been having discussions about this very thing. I mean, my mother's eighty, and um, she's she certainly doesn't believe everything she sees on the television, but she does watch the news every day, as that generation do, and they grew up trusting the BBC. in, and it was um, it was that sort of cultural conditioning that you know you you trusted what you were told because you were a trusting maybe because you were a trustworthy person yourself and you, yeah. it wouldn't occur to you. But I I had a similar journey to you. I mean I used to I mean I discovered Radio Four in my early twenties because I was just fed up with Radio One, um, and I suddenly discovered um, you know a guilty pleasure was the Archers. Yes, yeah. And but I I used to love the Archers back when it was gentle and nice. Um, and then I think I'm right in saying this, that a new producer took over or a new new kind of editor who used to work for EastEnders. And dreadful thing that is, isn't it? But, you know, you, you and, and then it got all sort of it all, it, I think it tried to get all gritty and, um, you know, realistic and all the rest of it. And then I just switched off. And, and I was the same with you with the Today programme. Um, I just I just used to get angry, mainly because of John Humphreys just interrupting people constantly, um, and I and I slowly drifted away from radio, and then I I got onto Six Music because it actually played stuff that was reasonably decent, um, and in about 2016, 2017, I discovered podcasts as my main media. Um, I haven't watched television for years. I haven't had a TV license for several years now. And um, it's basically just new media and podcasts now completely. And I, I actually, I'm not sure if this is a record. I'm sure it's not. But I've, I, I'm in the privileged position of having never once watched or listened to a COVID propaganda advert. I've never listened good. to one. I, yeah. I, I must have seen one on youtube or something i think but i've never seen you know in the flesh so to speak but uh, mm. um, i mean it's just it's just horrendous i mean people i mean again i mean i've heard this said by lots of lots of people and and it's nothing new and i'm sure you've you've experienced this but people who i considered some of the most intelligent people that i've ever met appear to have it's almost like they've drilled a hole in the side of their head removed their brain <laughs> Replaced it with with I don't know a sponge or something, and and they're just and this might be people that were that were worldly, cynical, sceptical, you know, a good laugh, yeah. very intelligent with a really good sense of humour, but but they're taking the, all this deadly seriously with absolutely no questioning whatsoever and. If I knew the reason for that, you know, you could bottle it and sell it, couldn't you? Because, mm. you know, governments would buy it from you. Well, maybe our government has bottled it and sold it and is selling it to other countries, according to what well, Lord exactly. Dodsworth says. Exactly. So, you know, that's, yeah. So, I mean, our, our journey sounds our journey sounds reasonably similar. Yes, it is indeed a science. Absolutely, yes. yes. I mean, I, I do think, I mean, we'll, we'll perhaps move on to other subjects, but I, I, I do have to admit that, and I said this in a previous uh, podcast, um, very early on, probably first week in, or yeah, the first week of the lock, the first lockdown in March, I think it was, wasn't it, last year? Um, I was still on Facebook at the time, and 
<laughs> yeah, Brendan, I was then. Brendan O'Neill um, was on, I was following Spiked, and Brendan O'Neill was saying, we have got to, this is very dangerous, we've got to, you know, we've got to watch our, our civil liberties, etc, etc. And, um, and I totally with him on you know not giving once you give stuff up it's difficult to get it back but i was still of the view that yeah but this is this is england you know it's we're not living in a in a banana republic um and it is unprecedented you know if it's as bad as everyone seems to be saying it is in china you've got all that chinese um stuff going on with people falling over in, in the street yeah so that was like, convincing wasn't it those videos <laughs> exactly but you think well <laughs> Nobody really. I, I get it that the government have got to be seen to be doing something because nobody knows. I was thinking if I was in charge, I'd be thinking, well, God, you know. I mean, if you get it wrong, you you could kill hundreds of thousands of people. You know, they were saying half a million people were going to die and all this sort of stuff. What Ferguson was. Um, so the first week or two, I had some sympathy, and I actually, I think, I did comment on a string on the Facebook string of Brendan O'Neill and said something like, you know. Look, I, I get where you're coming from, but I think probably you're over-egging the pudding here. I really don't think it's um, we're going to lose our civil liberties over two or three weeks. You know, in a, if I can understand why we're, we're locking down for three weeks to flatten the curve, to stop the NHS being overrun. So I, I, I'd heard all of that, and I was like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I, I, was, I was more for herd immunity, but I could see that if the hospitals got overrun then people would die that needn't die. So I was kind of of that view for until about the second, two and a half weeks into the lockdown, into the first lockdown. And then I just suddenly thought, I can't, I know what it was. It's when, when they, um, they announced that they were going to spend two billion pounds on cycle lanes. Um, ah, yes. And I, yes. I thought, that was interesting. And, and, and I'd already heard, I was already very aware of the world economic forum and the new normal and all that sort of stuff. And when they, when they started announcing as part of their COVID response that they were going to spend two billion pounds on cycle lanes for the new normal, I thought, oh, I got it. <laughs> I see. I've been now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, again, at the risk of um, you know this, you know, turning into a mutual fan club, I, I, I think I, I was pretty much the same. I remember because I didn't watch the media. I didn't really know anything about this 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 Chinese virus thing they were talking about because I I gave up watching television years ago because I just hate it, and um, so I just kind of ignored it really. I just thought oh it's just one of these stupid scare stories in the media, um, and then of course it got bigger and bigger. And then you know I did watch the the Boris Johnson um, press conference when he announced the lockdown on the twenty third of March, um, and I I did subsequently have to watch others. Um, the, particularly the ones with Rishi Sunak, because they involve my my professional life, which um, I know you want to move on to at some point if we've got time. Yeah. Um, but it, I wondered whether one of the questions you would ask me, either through the conversation or specifically, was you know roughly when my sort of eyes were open that something definitely wasn't go wasn't entirely right. And this may seem sort of somewhat esoteric, but. Um, I think it was probably the 10th of April, 2020. Um, and the reason I say the 10th of April, 2020, was that um, I'd, I've always been into poetry and um, I did English Lit A-level, um, failed it spectacularly because I was young and stupid, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And one of the poems I enjoyed was um, a poem called Afternoons by Philip Larkin. 
Right. I'm, I'm not sure if you know it, but uh, I'm just it's trying a, to think. I, don't, I love Larkin actually, but I, I'm not sure if I know that. It's one. the one that begins. Um, yeah, you know, summer has faded, uh, and the tulips pushing ones and twos past the recreation grounds, and so it goes on. Right. It's one of these bleak urban. Um, it reminds me of um, some of the songs by Suede, actually, or one of one of my favourite bands, and it reminds me of that sort of bleak, sort of urban angst mm. that you get in in a lot of Suede songs by um, by Brett Anderson. But uh, anyway, I digress. So I I actually wrote a reworked version of that poem with. Apologies to Philip Larkin, of course, um, about lockdown because I was feeling quite strongly about it, and I just wanted to do something creative, and I and I was just moved to write this. And um, I, coincidentally, uh, some some time later, uh, a year later, I think probably, I was listening to the Gulf Stream with Hector and Simon. And Hector uh, read a Philip Larkin poem, and uh, mm. I ended up sending this poem to Hector because I thought, oh, you might like it. And um, and Simon very kindly read it out on the on the show on the first of June um, this year. And um, that's why it's familiar. All right, I I, I I heard it. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, did, yeah. It seemed to yeah, people seem to like it. Yeah, no, I think it, it struck a bit of a, a chord. And um, so, in a very roundabout way, um, purely because I happened to have a. You know, I looked at the document that I wrote on my computer, and of course, you can look at when it was when it was created, um, and it was created on the tenth of April. So by then, I was definitely uh, somewhere down. I don't know, is it the rabbit hole or was it something else? But yeah. but anyway, it was roughly the same time as you by the same. Almost exactly by the sound of it, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, I mean, there's obviously must have been more than just that happened. It must have been a conflagration of different things that made us mm. well it was there was one other thing which um struck a chord with me in i mean you know the bombshell of the whole 28 day well let me start again a death for any reason within 28 days of a positive test mm. now when i heard that i thought i could see it for how ridiculous it was and again, going back to the normies, they don't seem to get it. And I had a fairly heated conversation with somebody recently, and I just said, don't you get the implications of that? And he was going, oh, no, not really. But anyway, um, I was... Now, I need to be careful I don't name names here or say anything too specific, but it, in my professional life, I have I have reasonably regular dealings with with lawyers, I'm not a lawyer myself, but I work in a kind of semi-legal field. And this lawyer, who I've known for ooh, 25 years, rang me up and said, I've got a coronavirus story for you, because he was a bit sceptical at the time as well. And he went on to tell me that a friend of his who is senior, again, I'm choosing my words carefully here. Um, I guess you can edit it if I say too much. Yeah. But somebody... Let me put it this way. Somebody very senior in a large organisation of what we'll call care homes of a, of a type. He was contacted by the state. I don't know who it was, but it was some organ of the state mm -hmm. and instructed to report every death as a COVID death. And these are facilities where people rarely leave alive. Yeah. 
unless they're in for respite care. Uh, and my friend told me this, and I trust him. And he wouldn't tell me that if the person hadn't told him that, because lawyers, as you know, are very careful in what they say and what they don't say. And he told me this very much off the record. And I haven't named any names, so that's fine, I think. But I put the phone down and I thought, that is, to use the vernacular, well dodgy. Because I thought, why would they do that? And I thought, well, okay. The most charitable explanation I can come up with is that they wanted to ramp up the death figures because the disease was really serious and they just needed more evidence to get people to do the right thing because it genuinely was a very serious disease um, for everybody. And uh, I spent about two minutes analysing that charitable uh, opinion and I completely discounted it because I just thought, no, that's utter rubbish. There's, there's something very wrong going on. Now that, Sam, may have been before the 10th of April last year. So that might have been my first moment when it was a sort of like a silver bullet through the head. And I thought, no, this is, there's something seriously wrong in the state of, state of England. Yeah, I, I, especially as I've had this discussion with my brother, who's of like mine, thankfully, otherwise uh, it would make life difficult. But, um, mm -hmm. and we've had the discussion about it and it seems to me that in any national emergency, a government would usually be desperate to try to calm the populace. Precisely. And, That's and exactly it, what I think. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, please. It's clearly they've done exactly... They've spent £500 million doing exactly the opposite. Um, mm. To the point where, going slightly off the subject, I don't want to cover the same stuff many, many times, but um, I do think... I am now very much of, uh, you probably know my, you've listened to other podcasts, you know my, my view on things, but uh, I listened to the podcast with um, the uh, the Lockdown Skeptics, is it Lockdown Skeptics podcast or the uh, the one that's um, uh, Tim Price and James Benbridge were on and it's been promoted quite a lot on Twitter this week. It was. A it's on my listen, it's on my listen to list, but I was on holiday, uh, I think when it came out and, uh, but I've got it downloaded and it's ready. It's ready to go. Well, it's good. It's worth listening to. Um, my, I listened to it with an open mind. I, I think, um, Tim absolutely demolished, um, James's side of things. Um, but, um, I get, I, I totally get, first of all, I get that James is, um, in the industry and has a reputation to protect. So, as they say in the podcast, it's very easy to go down these these um, conspiracy routes. But you know, you lose your reputation if you're wrong, or, or even if you're right. Frankly, um, you know, yeah, well, you're yeah. on the wrong side of it. As with you know, James Ellenpole will freely admit, you know, that the problem is that once you you know jump the shark, you've, you're um, even if you're right, um, you're against the establishment. You're against everybody else. You know, it's not. It's it's unlikely. It's going to. You know, you're going to see it come good for you. But um, it's a matter of of um, principle, isn't it? Really. But um, well, yes, I think it's. I think it very much is. But I do think there's people out there that think that they're still going to get a seat at the table. Yes. Um, and as as I think it was George Carlin once said, you know, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Mm. Um, and I think, um, you know. 
there is, again, not wishing to name names, but there are certain figures with what you might call one foot in the establishment and one foot in the new media. Um, and it's not difficult to perhaps guess who I might be talking about. Um, as you've mentioned, James Dellingpole already, you know, he's, <laughs> you know, I mean, his counterpart um, appears to be holding on to the idea. I don't know if he still is, actually, because I haven't listened to this week's uh, London Calling yet, but, uh, but you know, Toby... You know, Toby and James do um, provide quite a good yin, yin and yang, or you know, whatever you want to call it, on mm. on that um, podcast. But it is becoming increasingly difficult to maintain the position that this is just a cock up. Um, when you see what's happening in countries like uh, New Zealand, Australia, and others, where China appears to have a greater or lesser influence on things you know i can't help wondering whether the cock-up is maybe it's one of compliance i mean i know that's not excusable but i don't know i, I really don't know but i must listen to tim i like tim i like yes. tim price actually he's um his his podcast um state of the markets is is good as well um, well i haven't really listened to i think i've listened to one of his podcasts but i, I will listen to more now i've heard him on um, I think Gustring before, and um, he was very good on this. I mean, what to praise? I mean, you should listen to it because it's very good. But, mm. um, the, the, well. the, 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 the primarily, as you'll have heard with James Benbridge before, he was making the point that well, show me the evidence. And Tim, I think, pretty articulately laid down everything that's the factual reality of what is happening. In other words, the fact that they had the. Um, the, the the covid virus war games you know was it two years before um I think it was 2018 or 19 i can't remember yeah, and then they had the um um there's all of the financial um side of things that's really rolled in from 2008 onwards you know and, and the fact that things haven't really been resolved from that and then lots of things from almost 100 years ago where people have been saying um, you know, the, sort of all the usual suspects of all the normal people who that get talked about in these things, saying um, that uh, a new world order was required, a, a one world government, uh, a single currency, all this sort of stuff. And the, and, the, and the way that every government has unilaterally, supposedly, come up with the same solution, which is that we must have a, a biometric ID. And the biometric ID, of course, is everyone, anyone with half a brain knows is going to be linked to your social credit score, your credit score, your bank accounts, any new currency that's brought in. The whole thing, the fact that they are so profligate with everybody's money and they're just blowing money like they're not going to pay it back says to me they never expect to pay it back because there's going to be a reset of the financial system. Um, it, and and the thing that I thought was most interesting recently, this couple last couple of weeks, which I'd heard before, was that Sweden, I'd always been very impressed that Sweden had not panicked like everybody else. And it now transpires apparently that the population in Sweden are something like 85 or 90% bought into biometric ID already. So mm. there's no real need. They're already culturally, they're quite open to having this effectively a vax passport. Um, so they don't. Have, whereas in England, we've always been very much against um, IDs. So we have to be conditioned and scared into it. Whereas someone like Sweden, they haven't had to go through that because they're already there. Um, 
So my view is that all of this is to push us into a Vax passport, and the Vax passport is to bring in the new currency. And um, and whilst I don't know whether or not COVID was, I think it could have been man-made. I think it probably was man-made. I don't know that it was necessarily released by somebody to create all of this, but I think the fact that it happened certainly has been exploited by those people. Well, Klaus Schwab says it openly. This is an opportunity that we mustn't let um, let go of. You know, we must. He does. He does indeed. Well, I remember when I heard Mike Eden back in the early days when he first started speaking out, and this was this must be over a year ago, and he he used the phrase convergent opportunism. Um, now he used that phrase at the time. Um, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if he'd use a different phrase now. Uh, it's entirely possible that he would, um, but I think you know when you look at the the excessive number of new millionaires, new billionaires, the government contracts that are being thrown out to all their cronies, you know, that, that you know, some might take the view, well, okay, there's a lot of corruption, but, you know, it's, it's going to blow over. But I share your fears that I think, you know, vaccine passports morph into digital ID, digital ID morphs into central bank digital currency. And I was talking to a friend of mine at the weekend, and he's a He's a financial guy. He used to do pensions and mortgage broking, and he understands that. I mean, he's not a stockbroker or anything like that, but but you know, he's he's in the finance industry. And I mentioned to him about the central bank digital currency, and he just kind of shrugged. And I thought, well, you know, but is it that they don't? It reminds me a bit of the um, is it uh, the Time Machine by H.G. Wells, where you've got the two tier population, and one of them just. Yes, you know, just lives this sort of idyllic life, but then every is it every evening a few of them? Just yes, it's the, the Morlocks come up and um, and and grab a couple of um, easy human sacrifices from the. Um, yes, that's it. The Eloy and the Morlocks, Eloy, isn't it? And, it yeah. and 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 I and I find um, I find that people's reaction to when somebody drops dead of the vaccine is a little bit like the Eloy to their fellow Eloy. It's yeah. just, they, you know, if you, if you, you feel like shaking someone by the shoulders and saying, look, perfectly healthy people are being killed by this vaccine, like that BBC reporter, for example, to name one of many, but it's like their eyes glaze over and, and a little filter in their mind just starts playing mood music um, and a test card and, and they just zone out from what you're saying. And like I said, they just, it's like part of their brain has been removed and it, it, almost like there's a perception filter that they, I'm not, I'm not suggesting there is literally a perception filter, but, I, but I'm suggesting that, that they're, um, but maybe it's that it's, and again, this quote has been used many, many times, but it's far easier to fool people than it is to convince them they've been fooled. Mm. And I think that boils down to ego and, and self-image. You know, there's an awful lot of people wandering around who think they're far too clever to fall for government propaganda. And, of course, the, the only thing I would suggest that the government has done well in this entire pandemic, the only single thing they've done well is the psychological operation. Yeah. Um, and it's something that any previous dictatorship would be proud of. 
it, it is stunning and 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 they don't really make well as you say if you read laura dodsworth's book um they openly talk about it to her and you don't have to go very far to see the evidence of it i, I, I mean you know everyone's aware of the various departments that exist and all the rest of it i, I find it stunning I, on, on the on the vax passport though that's interesting because that was something i wanted to talk to you about was um because the vax passport as i say they've threatened to bring it in at seven days notice um and thereby they have required all large businesses or all businesses really to make the to prepare now for bringing in the vax passport because no business wants to be stuck at, you know at midnight on the sixth day and not have a, a procedure in place so mm. so they are and it also gets over the they don't have to make a moral decision they can just plan for it because they can they can say to themselves if i was running a medium-sized business i'd be saying to myself right well i've got to obviously make it work for the business that we can't just stop trading again they've nearly killed us already um so i'll make the plan personally yeah i'm against it i'll i'll make that moral decision that ethical decision when we get there but let's plan for the worst yeah that, you know that's how i think most pragmatic business people would think so yeah it probably is yeah i agree taken away the ethical question you plan for it and then it's so much easier to just push you over the edge and go well i haven't got a choice now we're going to have to do this otherwise we're not going to survive and they've implemented it so i think it's incredibly clever what they've done and cynical but um but of course it's then whether people stick to it you, you have um you have a background don't you in sort of um human resources personnel that sort of thing yeah, I, I mean, I sound old-fashioned, but I do prefer the term personnel, actually. I wish it had never been changed right. uh, from, from personnel to HR. But, I mean, I, I'm a, I mean my, official, my official title is I, I'm a freelance HR consultant. Um, but the simplest way to say it really is that I, I just spend my time trying to help small and medium-sized businesses avoid potentially quite expensive mistakes. So I, uh, I have a reasonable number of clients, and they range from very small companies that employ only two or three people. In fact, one of them employs one person, um, right through to companies that employ, you know, 100, um, 150. Um, and sometimes I do uh, slightly more project-based work for much larger organisations that need something sensitive, you know, doing. Um, so I basically try and, well, I spend my time being paid by clients to keep them the right side of the law when it comes to, everything to do with employment law right. and HR. Um, and so I've been very much at the, at, the, at the front end of this, really from the first lockdown. And when the furlough scheme started, when I mentioned earlier that I um, had, had to watch Rishi Sunak was because what he was announcing live, I mean, it was, it was evolving in real time. So what Rishi Sunak was announcing, I was having to then go on, the web looking at the government guidance um which each iteration would would change the guidance and so it was a it was a nightmare trying to keep on top of it because they changed the guidance over and over and over again um and then you'd finally end up with the treasury direction which is the actual document that rishi sunak personally signs you can actually see his signature on it um and that's the thing that's actually the the law the direction um from the treasury um but i was having to email all my clients on on almost a daily basis near the beginning saying right this is the latest on the furlough scheme this is what you can do this is what you can't do um so i mean 
I can't actually remember when the furlough scheme was introduced. I think it was pretty much the same time as lockdown. I think it was the Friday he announced it of the first week, or might have even been earlier than that. And um, so, you know, the first few months of lockdown, I was just frantically trying to keep on top of the changes in the in the guidance and the you know of the scheme. Um, and then it all it all went from there. And then you know, once that was all done by June last year, it was countless redundancies. So right, so redundancies have actually they are happening. I haven't. I don't really know what's happened to the. I don't think it's been as the statistics haven't been as frightening as everyone was expecting, have they? In terms of job jobless figures, no, they haven't. It's been quite weird actually, um, especially recently, because lots of sectors have um, have got huge staffing shortages, and one of the most surprising ones is hospitality. Um, I've got quite a few clients that run pubs and hotels and restaurants. And I've also got clients who supply those industries as well. And that sector is having a recruitment crisis, which is weird because lots and lots of pubs and restaurants have shut down. And those staff must have gone somewhere. Uh, I suspect in many cases they've gone on to benefits um, or maybe they were furloughed for a while. So they got used to putting their feet up and doing nothing for 80% of their pay, or in some cases more, because employers would often top it up to nearly 100 or even 100. Right. And so I, well, in fact, one of the things I have noticed is that um, I, I do think the winners, if you, if you can call it that, will be the people that were never furloughed in the first place because they haven't lost their work ethic, uh, particularly people who have not had to work from home i think the more business as usual it's been for somebody the the easier the easier it will be for them to recover from it and one thing i've noticed from from clients is that staff that have been returning from furlough particularly long-term furlough have developed a somewhat twisted view of the employer-employee relationship in that the employee is trying to now dictate what they do rather than the employer saying, well, no, actually, I'm the boss. You know, this is this is your job. This is what you have to do. So it's an odd thing. So I think furlough has mentally affected a lot of people yeah. and, and possibly irreparably changed their attitude to work. And because we do have such a generous benefits system, as long as you're prepared to not have much savings and all the rest of it, which a lot of people haven't got savings anyway, um, I think the toss-up between working and not working um, is is less uh, stark than it once was. Um, and, of course, one thing we haven't talked about but some people are talking about is the prospect of universal basic income, which furlough wasn't, but furlough was a trial run, or maybe that's too strong, but furlough was akin akin to something like that wasn't it absolutely i mean i i think ubi is it seems obvious that ubi i mean are ubi is on Klaus schwab's list um and um it seems to be something i mean lots of people that there is a tech there's a is it in scotland or wales I think it's wales isn't it where there's a trial ubi scheme going on at the moment um, i didn't actually know that but one of the worrying things about ubi is is creating digital money that with an expiry date yeah and that's really concerning. 
I think, well, I mean, the, the, the digital money and the Vax passports and the link to social credit scores and all the rest of it is is terrifying. And I, I just cannot believe how people, intelligent, um, so, so-called well-informed people in the media and what have you, um, seem to, to not put two and two together. I can, they, they must be ignoring it. That's the only thing I can think that, um, or they're in on it. I just don't get it. But um, I know I think what you've said about how it affects, I mean, I've been, I'm, very concerned that even if I'm completely wrong and it's not in any way a conspiracy, best case scenario, the government have done what they've done. And I think you're right. I think people have changed. I mean, work ethic, definitely. I think there's a lot of people now going, well, actually, I'm quite happy on this furlough. We're, you know, if they're not thinking about what's happening to the country and, and the fact it's all going to, we're, we're going to have to pay it. We're going to have to pay for it. So I don't think we're going to have to pay it back because I think it'll be, well, I think basically they'll just go after everybody's wealth. Um, but yeah. um, so work ethic is lost, as you say, and, and that has a big effect on on your mental health, um, especially yes. uh, I think probably more so men, but probably anybody in the work in the workplace, frankly, because you take a lot of your self-worth and your identity from your from what you do for a living, don't you? Um, so yeah, I think, fair. So I think that's a danger. And then trust in government must be at an all-time low amongst virtually everybody, apart from the sort of 40% of people, the hardcore, that believe that Boris Johnson's doing a great job. Um, um, division between large groups of, of the country. You know, I mean, it's there's a, there's a, a poisonous division between different groups in the country now, I think. I, I mean, forget about race and all the rest of it, which is always being um, stirred up anyway, but yeah, just, yeah, you know, the, all the normal, the, the stuff we're talking about, you know, whether or not you're pro-vax or anti-vax, accordingly to their, you know, the way they divide it. Um, and then fear, the fact that people are now petrified of, um, I mean, it's like we've never had a pandemic before. We've had lots of pandemics. You know, I mean, we must have had three or four significant pandemics in the last hundred years. So... Well, we have, and I, I mean, I'm. I do wonder whether, if this, this current one, had never been made anything of in the media, and it appeared as a, one of those usual headlines you get on something like page twenty six of the Guardian that says NHS due to be overwhelmed this winter, which it says every year, yeah. from what I can gather. Um, I do wonder whether people would have just completely ignored it, um, because the, you know, I mean, of course, people on our side. You know, we know that flu conveniently disappeared. Um, and the argument that some would say is, oh, well, well, that's because of masks and social distancing and hand sanitizer and everything else. Um, and I, I don't doubt that people caught fewer colds when they weren't mixing with people indoors in the winter because that's how colds spread. So it's bloody obvious that you're going to catch fewer colds if you don't mix with people. But, you know, the fact that someone can hold in their head too utterly contradictory positions which is to say that well you know coronavirus is a is a respiratory flu-like virus which you know is what it is and flu is a respiratory flu-like virus um but one's disappeared and the other one's everywhere <laughs> and the nhs has been completely given over to it and according to them pretty much nothing else exists um it just seems to me preposterous and i think that the the media and the government are effectively interchangeable now i don't really think that we have well we don't have a free press do we, we no, and we don't have a free media therefore can we have 
anything resembling a democracy in the absence of, of that. Well, I, I um, had always understood that democracy was based on the, on the we must have a free press. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a cliche, isn't it? But it's a sort of, yeah, I got it. I never really thought it through in great detail until you start seeing in the UK and also, I mean, particularly in Canada, which is um, absolutely amazing watching what's happening in Canada. Oh, it's gone, hasn't it? Yeah, totally. But um, he has, I mean, um, Trudeau, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a video clip of him at some, it was like his Gerard Ratner moment, um, except <laughs> without the punishment. He was at a, like a party event or something and um the great and the good were there and he said this is only recently and um they were saying something about not um basically they were talking about a friendly press and the fact that you know that the press had been so com complacent and so good and he said well it's amazing what 600 million dollars will buy you because they've 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 bailed out <laughs> all of their media with uh, funds. Yeah. the only media in Apart from small independents, the only significant media in Canada that hasn't taken millions and millions of dollars is rebel media. Um, and they are banned from, you know, speaking to him and, and all the rest of it. It's, uh... Yeah, well, surprise, surprise. Well, I mean, I don't think that it's in newspapers' business model to factor in newspaper sales. Um, it can't be. Um, you know, any newspaper's business model now must be pretty much government advertising. Yeah. Um, and advertising from green energy companies. I mean, that's one of the, <clears throat> I mean, one of the sad things about the media is I discovered a spectator a few years ago. I hadn't been reading it that long. Um, and that's where I uh, first discovered James Dellingpole and started listening to his podcast in probably about the beginning of 2019. And I, I used to really enjoy the spectator. It was, it was refreshingly, refreshingly, you know, pretty good. Mm. Um, but I noticed, you know, early in lockdown, it was pretty sceptical. Fraser Nelson was quite sceptical on their politics, Coffee Shots podcast. And then I noticed, I was reading through it one morning. It was one of my luxuries on a Saturday morning was, you know, read it in bed usually. And I thought, hang on a minute. Every, almost every advert is a full page advert about green energy and all this, you know, stuff yeah and i thought okay and then it went full biden um and fraser nelson appeared to rapidly change his his tune and my subscription was up for renewal and i thought well i'm i'm bugged if i'm gonna resubscribe to it because there was the old reasonable columnist but mostly it was gone and i mean i used to i used to enjoy douglas murray but he's been conspicuous by his absence yeah throughout throughout most of this. Um, but, I mean, going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, creating divisions in society, that's another thing that they've done spectacularly well. And, you know, one of the things that I am inevitably going to be involved in is um, vaccines at work. And I I had a call last week, which I – it was a call I'd been dreading because it was the first call from a client asking me whether or not he could – only recruit people who've been vaccinated. Hmm. And I've been dreading that call. Yeah. Um, and I was still at the time in two minds what to, uh, what to say and how to handle that. But so I, I stuck to telling him what the legal position was as far as I understood it. And I'll tell you what that is, hmm. which is that, 
At the moment, there is not a specific law that says you can't do that unless it conflicts with another law, such as the Equality Act. Mm -hmm. um, and the Equality Act is a somewhat controversial piece of legislation in some quarters. And um, rightly so, in some ways, particularly the abuse of it rather than th the thing itself. So I stuck to the legal position and said, well, you know, I don't think it's a particularly good idea commercially because you could be, you know, restricting yourself from a really good candidate pool. But I, I had to tell him the truth that there's no specific rule against it unless it contravenes. For example, if someone's got a disability that prevents them from having the vaccine, mm -hmm. then you know, that could be direct discrimination. So there's all sorts of overlapping areas in some of these laws. And I just thought, you know, I had my head in my hands and I just thought, you know, you know, he's not a particularly big client. And I just thought, you know, if he comes back to me and says, look, I want you to help me do this, I've now made up my mind, I'm just going to refuse and say, no, I I can't in conscience do this and I'm just going to have to let him go. Um, well, well done, and, well done you, but it is difficult, isn't it, when it's your business? It's, um... It is. It. I mean, it is difficult. Um, but I, you have to have. I think the thing about principles is you actually have to know what they are. Yeah. Um, and there's a degree of testing them out sometimes, and we're all, you know, putting situations sometimes when we we don't really have a position on a subject until we're forced to. Um. But I've pretty much decided now that I I won't. I won't have any part of it. And it, and if that hurts me financially, I don't care, frankly. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I won't do it because I I think it it makes you compliant in something that I consider to be pretty evil, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I've had, we've had, myself and my brother have had serious conversations about this because neither of us are vaccinated and um, neither of us intend to be. Um He's recently, well, we both recently, actually, he bought it first and then I bought from the same people, bought some um, uh, ivermectin and various other bits and pieces. Um, and the, the primary reason for that was, and the primary reason he bought it was because he'd been thinking ahead and he said, well, he, he works in a university and um, they are, you know, they, they, they love introducing everything to, uh, you know, everything they can possibly introduce to Oh yeah, make life difficult for everybody. So, oh yeah, uh, I mean, I'll give you. Yeah, the university HR, university HR departments are one of the worst. There's others. I'll we can go into that later if you want. But, but yeah, they're, yeah, they're they are horrendous. I mean, I'll give you an example of a story he told me at the weekend. He said um, they've been told that they've they've got to come into. That he's been working at home um, online, and and he's been able to do that because he works one to one with students anyway. So, um, it hasn't had much of an impact um, on what he does, and. Um, but he would rather go in and do it one-to-one, face-to-face. -to -face. Mm. Anyway, um, they've now decided the university is going to go back. Well, I suppose it's gone back now. I don't know when they go back. Maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, they, roughly they are, now, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the university is going to go back. They are going to do stuff face-to-face. -face, but um, in the lectures, there will be plastic screens, um, wiped down, this, that, and the other. All stuff that's been totally discredited. Yeah, okay. ages ago. yeah, masks, exactly. all the rest of it. Uh, so all that's got to happen, and they're going to have cleaning schedules and this, that, and the other. Um, but because he's one to one, and so are the people in his department, they've established. Well, you can't really be one to one, both of you in front of a laptop, because that wouldn't work. So what we'll do, you have, you can still do it online, but you have to come into university 
uh, and the, the students will be in one room and you will be in another room and you'll do it online on campus so right. um so basically that says to me that they the i think that says to me they resent the fact that there might be a group of lecturers or whatever that are um that are still working from home so they're going to take that's not fair so we're going to make you come in but then you can't do you're, you're only going to do what you'd have done at home anyway which is the most yeah. ridiculous so i said to him well what you should do is play the game and say well that's all well and good but i spend 300 pounds a, a month on fuel doesn't seem very green to me I don't know ah no, that's a clever idea yeah <laughs> well he could just say well why don't you just pretend i'm there and i'll just stay at home well you, um, well, you can imagine they don't you know i mean it's they are horrendous but but it's i mean that's the, the stupidity that's at work and um it, it's it's frightening but he he anyway sorry the reason he was saying this was the reason he's got the ivermectin why have you he said it might be that at some point i have to take to keep my job i have to take the vaccine and i said well he's as convinced as me about it all and i said well you'd have to find somebody else to do wouldn't you because he has already got two or three other different sources of income um that's a, a academe based and uh, he said, well, I could, just about. I could probably live on that and everything else. But I uh, said, I don't know. I, I think eventually it's, we're going to be, it's going to be lost. And I, I was quite surprised. And um, Yeah, that must have been quite disappointing to hear him say that. Yeah, well, I mean, because he's totally on board, exactly the same as me. But, but what made me think, actually, and the reason I'm telling you this, is he then said, well, we've, we've, got, we've only got our mother left, and she's very well, quite reliant on us. And he said, well, one of us, you know, if they do bring it in big time, uh, and you are effectively excluded from society. Someone's going to have to be there for money. Um, yeah. And you think, well, you know, if it gets right down to it, he's got a good point. So he'd actually thought it through, which is what you were saying. He's, he's thought it all the way through to the bitter yes. end. Yes, yes, he has. And he's kind of come to the conclusion that, well, you know, it's all well and good having principles, but you can't leave your old mum on her own. So, um, I mean, I've been there for all through this eighteen months, and she's been poorly and everything else, and I've, I've been picking her up off the floor and and um and all the rest of it um when she's been poorly and and we've never taken her to hospital because we didn't you know didn't think she'd come out again so she's no. um, she didn't want to either i mean she was desperate to keep, to keep away so so you know it's not that we're not there for her but yes it, it does come that point so I, it's a bit different for me because i'm self-employed so i think i you know i, I I'm, I'm probably i find another way of around the problem but um well yeah i mean i think i mean it goes i mean I mean, in a way, I, I respect his thought process. I mean, he, he's obviously thinking of it in a very logical way, and uh, it seems he's prepared to take one, you know, take one for the family team, as it were. But but it, but it shouldn't have to be like that, should it? And if he's buying ivermectin as a as a potential counter to the effects of the vaccine, I mean, that you know, it says it well, all, doesn't it? I mean, exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, the latest. I mean, a few weeks ago, as you know, they they uh, mandated vaccines for care home workers, um, and there's already a recruitment crisis in the care sector, um, and because the pay is pretty rubbish, um, it doesn't always attract the most, uh, you know, the best workers. A lot of them are very good, but a lot of them are just phoning it in. So, um, if they do the same for nurses, which they're in consultation with at the moment, that's going to create an even bigger recruitment crisis. And a lot of nurses are from 
ethnic minorities and that sort of thing. Um, we know that there's a lower vaccine uptake in the ethnic minority uh, population. And so I think that if they start throwing their weight around even more and cast saying that entire sectors have to be vaccinated, they're going to create enormous problems um, in the NHS and in the private sector where it'll be impossible to recruit staff um, and they won't necessarily be able to use the usual route of getting them from the Philippines and places like that because they may not want to be vaccinated. So, you know, they really, you know, this maybe goes down more of the incompetence than the conspiracy route because, you know, why would you conspire to have fewer nurses or, I don't know, maybe... Well, if you're it, depopul- you know, I, yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I've given up trying to. I'm, I'm not quite sure where I fall <clears throat> on the um, on the conspiracy continuum. Uh, I, I mean, to say I change my mind regularly is probably wrong. It's more like I, I haven't really ever made up my mind about what what really is going on. I just know that what's going on is deeply, deeply wrong, um, and it's as though. If someone sat round in a meeting and said, "Right, well, what's the what's the best way we could destroy everything that's good about England and Great Britain?" Um, then, accident or not, this would be one of the well, probably the best way of doing it. I'm sure that, however many people are listening to this, <laughs> will all be nodding. I mean, I think that's the thing that we all on this side of the argument have in common. I mean, if you wanted to, this almost boils back down to this whole um thing about um conspiracy versus incompetence or whatever so many things are happening all of which all of which are only going to have one effect on the on the nation state um and the people of this country and 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 everything you know you can think about i'm i'm hoping to speak to somebody who's um very instrumental in um in reporting on the um, sort of thousand migrants a day that are landing on the beaches in Dover. Um, oh, that's in, interesting. In the near future, yeah. so that should be interesting. I have a short chat with him. But, um, but if you look at that, if you look at and, and it's all oh, it's terrible. We're wringing our hands. We're, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. But you could stop an entire nation from leaving the country or coming back into the country, or as soon as you want to. You know, um, Heathrow and Gatwick you know, it could be closed overnight, but you can't stop people coming in, in dinghies. I just don't believe you. I think it's a lie. Um, so, so there's that. Yes, I agree. Yeah. You know, and, and then there's and then there's all of this stuff. And and the other thing, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, um, James Dellingpole openly refers to uh, the shot as the kill shot and all the rest of it. Um, and of course, that's very emotive. Well, I mean, it should be emotive if it's true. But you look at it, and you go, you know, it really is. Um, I suppose we all have our Bembridge point, don't we? Where we go, um, don't mean to use him specifically, but you know, I think you know what I mean. He's at one end of the scale in terms of what he's prepared to say or or what he believes and what he's prepared to say might be possible. Uh, and I understand why. And I'm sort of further down that, that scale, but I'm not, I just, it feels, I just think, kill shot, really? You know, it's, um, but then you look at things like the drugging of, um, was it Medazepam or something? I can't remember the name of it. Medazolam. Medazolam. I mean, that's, it seems pretty obvious that they, I mean, the amount of people that were, when, when, when people that aren't even old, people in their sort of 50s and people that have got disabilities 
are being given do not resuscitate notices without anybody knowing and then thousands of people apparently allegedly have been have been basically um put to sleep on this on this stuff you just think well is a kill shot that unreasonable to believe in and 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 even if you say no it's not that it's just um they are pushing through um something that's untested and it's killing more people it's still a small percentage of people that it's actually killing it's a 1200 1300 people out of 40 million or something um plus all the other injuries but even if you say all of that and say you know that i mean that's terrible en enough but okay you could kind of say well the percentages are small but then um what do they think is going to happen to the population closing down the nhs for 18 months building up massive waiting lists for things like cancer and uh, heart disease and strokes then going into a winter where the nhs is hardly functioning and with maybe losing 20 or 30 percent of their staff that's good well, exactly that'll yeah. kill tens or hundreds <clears throat> of thousands of people yeah it will it will i mean i think i mean i've got a reasonably big family and um myself my wife and my son are the only members of that family that haven't been vaccinated um and so i hope that the whole kill shot thing is wrong hmm. um obviously oh, yeah. for obvious reasons i'm sure yeah. you're in a similar it's position with, with members of your family yeah. but <clears throat> and i've said this to a few people now that i have every sympathy with anybody who has almost within reason any conspiracy theory about this because what has happened has been so unbelievable and if you could go back in time two years a short a mere two years if you told someone what has happened in 2021 they wouldn't believe you they think you were off your rocker you know, especially if you were using facts like the death for any reason within 28 days, the average age of death being older than the average life expectancy in the UK, and all those facts that all of us on this side know parrot fashion, yeah. they would think you've gone stark raving mad. So I hope James Delingpole is wrong, and, and I think he hopes he's wrong as well. I, yes. I think I've heard him say it. But I, I have every sympathy. I have every sympathy for somebody you know, who is preparing. And I think if somebody is, <clears throat> let's say they're choosing to buy gold, for example, or let's say they're choosing to get a year's worth of rice and dried chickpeas in their cupboard, um, I honestly don't blame them. Because what you said early in this in this podcast about you, you, I can't remember whether you said you consider the government your enemy or you consider yourself the enemy of the government, but those two things, I suppose, are interchangeable in a way, yeah. um, if, or at least they are for the purposes of what I'm saying. Um, I have every sympathy. I have every sympathy. Um, and I've been lucky in a way. I haven't had a relative die through lack of care in this whole thing. Um, I haven't had to not to visit an elderly relative in a care home or anything like that. So yeah. me, me personally, I haven't experienced the, the visceral um, despair that some people have experienced during lockdown and during the, and during this, but I don't think that makes me any less qualified to have, a, have a pretty strong opinion. And I, you know, and I've always, you know, I've always had that. I mean, one of the things that I, felt and still feel incredibly strongly about his masks. I I have a 
they make me nauseous when I see people wearing them. Um, I have an absolute, it's not quite a phobia, but it's, it's just a visceral hatred for them. And I don't really know where that comes from, apart from the fact that I quite like the human face and I think it's important that we all see each other's faces all the time. Um, and I never wore one. And I just would stride bold as brass into shops um, and everywhere else without wearing one. Yeah. Um, but I was, I mean, I'm a reasonably fit, six foot tall, 51 year old guy who's in reasonable shape. And it's unlikely that someone's going to pick on me because mm. I don't look like the sort of person that could be that easily picked on. So it was easy for me, but it, but it's not so easy for some, you know, some old lady or, or, or someone else who's, who's, um, Exactly. I mean, perceived I as you know, perceived as vulnerable. There um, are young. I mean, I, I've noticed whenever you hear the stories of people that have actually had a hard time, and it's rare, but when you hear the stories of people who've had a hard time in a shop and been picked on or rounded on or whatever, it is almost without exception a small younger woman. Um, you know, yeah. maybe under thirty or something. And um, yeah, uh, and it's and half the time, at least half the time, it's a bloke doing it. They just think, oh, yeah. It is. Um, yeah, it's disgusting. It's yeah. absolutely disgusting. I mean, when I, I mean, as soon as they introduced masks in schools, I got my son, I got a 13 year old son, um, and I got him a mask exemption. Um, and I, I'm very, very thankful that both my wife and I'm proud as punch to say my son is complete, you know, they both completely get it. Yeah. Um, you know, my son is, you know, he's as skeptical as me. Um, and he doesn't want the vaccine, and under no circumstances is he going to have it. I mean, that must and, be a real fear um, for parents at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, and I and I know. I mean, I can only imagine how dreadful it must be being in a marriage or in a family where you're the only person in the household that can see through this. Yeah. Um, and I know of, uh, I've I've certainly met, I've actually met someone uh, earlier this year uh, whose marriage has been. Uh, pretty much ruined because of because of this, and it's heartbreaking. You know, this person's got a couple of kids, um, and it's heartbreaking. And and he's not the only example I've come across where people are living in a. Well, you can't put it more strongly. They're living in a nightmare, yeah. where everyone around them appears to have lost their minds. It's. It is. It really is. You wouldn't if a film was made of it. You wouldn't believe that, that it, it wouldn't sound like it was credible, would it? I mean, it is just the things that happen and and the stories you hear and and um, no, it's it is as you say the the worst thing. I mean, it, if you had been in a scenario where you had got somebody in hospital, a loved one in hospital, and you couldn't visit them and they had um, they died, or if um, as you say you've got half the family or or one of the two parents is is one way and the other is the other it it's horrendous because it, it it no matter which side of the argument you're on it is kind of life and death isn't it i mean it's um to yeah, people, it is. You know. yeah yeah um, it is i mean it reminds me it reminds me in a very small way of the brexit argument mm. um but it's it's like brexit on acid isn't it it's brexit yeah. times a million yeah. um you know and this <clears throat> i mean i've i've deliberately tried not to fall out with family members 
um, by just avoiding talking about it. Yes. Um, and just changing the subject. And when people have asked me if I've been vaccinated, I've you know usually given some flippant response. In some cases, I've just blatantly told the truth. In other cases, I've been a bit more mm. more flippant. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's fractured our society in a way that, like I said, makes Brexit look at, like a kids' tea party. No, it's, it's, I mean, as I say, even if even if there is not even one part of this is a conspiracy i think the, the effect it's had on society has been permanent and and really bad um mm. so in terms then of talking of permanence and what have you so you've already said that you, you you've made a principled decision based on what you're going to do if you clients start coming to you with um questions on on vaccination um and then of course there's vaccination passport um I was aware of the Equality Act and the idea that perhaps that could be used. Um, what's your general experience of, obviously without going into details, of um, companies that you're aware of? How are they planning for this? Are they? You mentioned one company that was it just that one company that's approached you so far, or do you think? Yeah, just one so far, and also the vaccine passport would probably be more on the customer side of things. Um, <clears throat> rather than the staff side of things. Mm. Um, so it it may be that I, I wouldn't get too involved with with that. Um, I mean, sometimes they ask me slightly more commercial, you know, generally commercial-related questions, but it's mostly related to, to employment. So I think my involvement or non-involvement, depending, would be <clears throat> probably on, A, whether they can insist on new staff being vaccinated, and B, whether they can insist on all current staff being vaccinated and can they sack somebody for not being vaccinated? Um, now, the answer at the moment to that, um, as far as I'm aware, is that they they wouldn't be able to sack somebody for not being vaccinated unless it was mandated by the state um, because employment contracts are by nature evolving documents, so they get superseded by legislation. So for an obvious example of that would be the minimum wage. You know, if your employment contract still said you were getting five quid an hour, but the minimum wage is now 893, <clears throat> excuse me, let me just clear my throat, <clears> throat> 893, then um, any legislation supersedes what's written in a contract. So statutory rights are not signable away. Um, so, um, but if if somebody if someone's been employed for less than two years, they can be fired, and they're not able to claim unfair dismissal through the employment tribunal system unless you have contravened another law. It's this comes up quite a lot. There's no there's no right to automatic claim for unfair dismissal unless you have, for example. Um, blown the whistle and raised the health and safety query, or if you happen to be involved in union activities and they don't like it and they sack you for that, or if you are, let's say you happen to be gay and they're really homophobic and they decide they don't like gays, so they're going to sack you for that, well, that's against the law from day one, you know. So you get certain rights which are called day one rights. Other rights only kick in until two years continuous service. And so... Uh, you can be pretty much sacked for any reason, as long as it doesn't break another law within the first two years of employment. Um, and But this comes on to the employment tribunal system itself. 
I don't think it's going to be sympathetic to rebels in this system. And there was a reasonably recent example, and it was a driver, a lorry driver, and he was supposed to wear a mask in his cab on his own when he visited client premises. So he would be going to drop off some goods in a yard, and very often the drivers stay in their cab while it's unloaded, uh, or they get out and have a chin wag, you know, and a fag and a cup of coffee and whatnot. Um, but this guy was staying in his cab, but the client complained to the transport company, you know, the logistics company. They sacked the driver for gross misconduct for not not wearing his his mask in his cab because they said, well, it's a client requirement, so that's potentially a fair reason for dismissal, which technically it can be. He tried to take them to an employment tribunal for unfair dismissal, and his claim failed um, because the tribunal system, like with most of the other courts, is going to follow the orthodoxy. So, and I hear a lot of people talking about oh, you can sue people and you can do this and you can do that. Let's take people to court. But we know from the Simon Dolan case and we know from other attempts at legislation, trying to attack this through the legal system is futile. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, the tribunals will take a dim view of anybody who they see as a health risk to other workers and all other associated things to do with that, because they've also swallowed the orthodoxy or they're part of the establishment or both. And so I think that a lot of people that get on the wrong end of an employment issue will probably find, sadly, that the tribunal system won't be won't be their friend in this. Yeah. which is a shame. I, I I agree. I mean, when we were talking about the press and the fact that a free press is everything when it comes to democracy, the other thing, of course, is the courts and the police. Um, and, oh, yeah. You know, I think the police have been politicised purposefully over the last 10 or 15, maybe 20 years anyway. But um, And that's showing up now, but also in the way that they police different pressure groups. <laughs> but also... Um, the oh, courts- yeah. Well, look at, I mean, look at the way that you know, look at the soft touch they have with someone like Extinction Rebellion yeah. uh, or Black Lives Matter, um, whereas they'd give a right old kicking to anti-lockdown protesters. And yeah. one of the things that, uh, and again, this was quite early on last year, I looked at the police with utter, utter disgust and just thought, you know, you're you're waving through the the state sanctioned process uh, uh, protest groups yeah and i firmly believe that extinction rebellion and black lives matter were utterly and completely state sanctioned well it's government state, policy they're, they're, yeah they're go, yes exactly well, an xr is i mean xr is is doing exactly what what the government wants them to do isn't it yeah. but you know and you know the anti lockdown protests um it was so it seems to have got less heavy handed now but i think that's just because of the numbers they can't they wouldn't be able to be heavy-handed if they wanted to. If you've got two hundred thousand people marching up Oxford Street, you know what they're going to do. Well, if it if it went, um, and you obviously always have to be careful when you're talking publicly about this sort of stuff. But it were it to go wrong, um, I think people on our side of the argument now there are enough people that are genuinely, and I think reasonably, 
given the fact that people have had their livelihoods, their families, and all sorts of things taken from them. I've always been of the view that it'll never go really tits up until enough people have got nothing left to lose. But I know I've, I've spoken to a few people recently on social media who have said to me, I haven't got anything left to lose. And I think, um, you know, I've lost my, bo- I've lost my job. I've, or I've lost my business. Uh, my wife's left me. Uh, I don't see my kids anymore. I haven't got any money. And, and you go, well, what do you think happens when you do that to somebody? Well, I mean, and if there's, if you've got um, 200,000 people of which 15,000 feel like that, um, at some point, if it kicks off, uh, as you say, if you've got, um, what, 3,000 police there? Um, it would go wrong very fast. So It would, um, it would. They, they, they are playing with fire, I really think they are, but um, they don't really seem to give a damn. I think there's a lot of um, hubris around. Um, getting back to the, the legality of this, I had a thought, I've, I've had, um, I come from a property background, and so I've done, as an undergraduate, I did quite a lot of law. So a little, you know, a little being a dangerous thing and all that, a little knowledge being a dangerous thing. But what about um, sort of vicarious liability for employers? Because if you've got, you know, you know, like the old the case of the shopkeeper that clears the pavement of snow outside his shop, and then somebody uh, yeah, slips yeah. over on the newly cleared yeah. pavement and sues them because he basically interfered with the snow, if you like. So he took on a liability. So what if an employer says you've got to work here, you must have the vaccine, you have the vaccine, and then you have uh, a stroke? And you're, you know, you're 28, and um, you've got a family of three. Don't the employers perhaps think that they've got a big liability potential there? I don't think they do. No. Um, now I can't comment on whether they actually would have one because, like I said, I'm not a lawyer, and this whole area is untested so far in the courts, largely. In fact, I think probably completely untested at the moment. But I don't think they've thought it through because I think they're just simply relying on government guidance and government advice. Um, so their their defence would be, well, we were just we were just doing what we were told. You know, we were told. You know, we were told it was. You know, we were following orders. You yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. that's the you know, reliable defence. But again, I mean, <clears throat> you've if you've got every institution that's been captured, including the courts. And again, you take, you take conspiracy away from it. If you've got the courts who genuinely believe that this is a truly global, terrible pandemic and people are at risk and it would be grossly irresponsible to do anything other than have a vaccine and to do all the other nonsense as well, then um, to them, and we talked earlier, didn't we, about how do they think? Well, if we're, if we're running a thought experiment about how they think, well, if they are genuinely captured and they do genuinely believe it they're going to say well you know it's obvious it's obvious isn't it they're going to say it's obvious it's obvious you should do it um and if someone has a has a has an adverse reaction then they'll say well yeah but we're only doing what we were told and again it would have to get tested in the courts and but to be tested fairly in the courts that would have to mean that the courts would treat the matter fairly and there's absolutely no way of knowing whether they would yeah, and I mean, I think it would boil down to the whether or not you had a judge who um, was either t- took his um, his job incredibly seriously um, or was already minded um, slightly on our side of things. Because otherwise, I don't think 
as you say, I think, uh, I mean, I think the courts are pretty much captured and, and the police and, uh, yeah, I, 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 this is what, um, I'm very cynical of all these people. There are various people, aren't there, that are out there, um, um, doing private prosecutions and, and, um, reading up on, on sort of ancient, um, common law rights. Yes, yeah, there are. And, you know, I go, well, I've no doubt that we do have, because I mean, the, you know, common law is a thing, and I'm no doubt that we do have certain common law rights that are being overridden by laws that have been put in place, probably without proper due diligence and everything else. But the the reality is, it doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter if the law's on your side. If they're not going to implement it and they're not going to listen to you, you haven't got a chance. They're just going to. I mean, all those poor buggers during World War One that got shot dead for cowardice when you know they were they got shell shock or something. I mean. It's it's all well and good if fifty years later they get a pardon, but they still got shot dead. You know, it's um... well. I, th I think there's a there's a. I mean, it goes back to what I said earlier about the fact that I've got every sympathy for anyone you know trying to do something, and and I know about some of the people that are looking down the common law route. But the trouble is, it relies on the assumption to some extent, and perhaps not with common law to that degree. But most of this stuff relies on the assumption that the other side's going to play fair. Yeah. Um. And whether the other side is deliberately not playing fair or thinks it is playing fair but is wrong, it doesn't really make any difference to the outcome. And so I, I'm i not sure that some of the oft-mentioned legal cases, I mean, there's this thing that that German guy's doing. I'm not sure what the latest is yeah. with that. Rainer um, Fulmich. Yeah, yeah. Rainer Fulmich. I mean, I don't... I don't know because, you know, you've got, you know, the media against them, the legal system against them, huge smear campaigns. Um, and I, I mean, one, one movement that I do have a lot of sympathy with is, is the us for them movement. Um, and the, the lady Beverly Turner is quite, quite heavily involved in that. Um, right. And she's been very good. And it's all about, you know, trying to put children first and protecting children. And because I've got a 13 year old son, um, I I have skin in the game when it comes to yep. to this particularly, um, and some of those organisations are. I think their heart is absolutely in the right place, and they and I do believe they're genuinely doing their best. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm no, no, no. and I think the world is a much better place for them to be in it. Um, and I mean, much the same could be said about you know, something like GB News. I mean, I still haven't quite made my mind up about GB News. I mean, they seem to vacillate quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think in a in a world without coronavirus, and if we just had things like um, Brexit and that sort of thing to worry about, then I think GB News would probably have been pretty good. Um, but they're subject to Ofcom rules like everyone else. I mean, a, a bright shining light on it is someone like Neil Oliver, who I yeah. think has been... He has a talent of articulating the way you think about something far more effectively than you possibly could yourself. Mm. I and think he, I, you're right. He, I mean, he really he, is a legend. It, absolutely. I mean, he, every one of his monologues or essays, or whatever you want to call them, uh, even all the way back in talk radio, when he was doing them with talk radio and having those sort of discussions with um, um, uh, Mike, whatever, um, I'm Mike. But, um, but then these monologues have been really effective. And, and as you say, he's got a really good way about him and the way he does it. But what I like most about him is um, he he manages to say 
pretty much exactly what uh, what you've just said what i think with the same level of simmering anger and yet he manages to say it in such a way on television that he's not um he hasn't got a big hook coming and grabbing him and drag him off um yeah <laughs> what he what he says if you listen to what he says he is right out there in terms of I mean, basically, the last one I heard, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but as I heard it, at least, he was basically saying, um, uh, you you know, you'll touch my son over my dead body sort of thing. Yeah, that's um, what. Yeah. Yeah. That's effectively what he was saying. I mean, he's he's a he's a very clever guy. And he, he I'm not sure if you know about this, but I anyone if anyone is listening, I highly recommend his podcast called Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the British Isles. Yeah. Um, it's about half an hour long and he talks about lots of different places, some of which you've heard of and some of which you pr almost certainly won't have. And one thing that is very clever is that he it's mostly about history and its fascinating aspects and the power of place. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a lovely thing, you know, particularly in the winter on a Sunday afternoon, if you can light the fire and, you know, pour yourself a glass of something smoky, you know, and just sort of sit there and take in a few of these. It's a wonderful thing to do on a, on a winter's day, particularly, but um, you can tell the way he carefully words some of the things he says that particularly the recent episodes have been made since lockdown. And he very, very cleverly says things that if you know, and, my wife and I often look at each other and just nod and go, yeah, yeah, he gets it. He totally gets it. And it's a wonderful thing. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. I have heard one or two. I, I do subscribe to him. But he, the trouble is, podcasts, there's so many podcasts, and I'm um, trying to pick podcasts and listen to them. And, and I mean, I say this is somebody who's obviously doing a podcast, a small podcast, but there are so many podcasts, I find it difficult to find time for all of them. But... Um, um, but I don't watch TV, so it does mean that I get the opportunity to listen more. Um, and I do listen to him from uh, from time to time. I listened to one the other day. Um, but uh, well, no, I think podcasts. I mean, podcasts have been an absolute lifeline for me. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's a couple of particularly good. I think. I mean, Irreverent is fantastic. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, those guys again both highly intelligent highly educated and, and so knowledgeable about so many different things um you know one tends to think of of the clergy as being rather um of a single track but mm. but that certainly isn't the case for them but but yes you're right it would be futile for us to make a list wouldn't there because there are so there are well, so I, many i agree though irreverent i mean he was obviously on Dellingpole, and i i went and, and i listen to them every week now and um uh, I look forward to it, and and they are good, and they they've got a good um, charisma of a, and a sort of a good interplay between the th when the three of them are on. There's a very good interplay um, between the, the guy in Sulkham and the other the other two. Yes, and, um, and I like the fact that they're whilst they're men of the cloth, they're they're um, and probably perhaps because they're men of the cloth, they don't hold back. They um, they say what no, they, they need, don't. You know. I think they're men of the cloth, but they're also <laughs> men of the world as well. Yes. They're very much men of the world, and I really like that. Mm. The one thing I wanted to ask you, actually, is have, have you managed to go to a third Wednesday yet? No, well, funnily enough, I was just about to come on to that. Uh, no, I haven't been. Oh, right. <laughs> I've, um, I've spoken to, um, I, well, I've, I've DM'd, um, um, who have I DM'd? Well, Simon, for a start, but then also Dick Dellingpole. And um, because I live... I live only just down the road from from Dick, 
so um, I don't know him, but um, we have spoken. Uh, so I'm planning to get a Worcester one, um, and I, there's one tomorrow, isn't there, on the 15th? Yes. Yeah, so there is. Uh, 15th of September, so this will probably come out tomorrow. So there's one on the 15th of September, and I know that it's fantastic looking at the website that there's so many are popping up now, and people, I think largely because of what's happening, are starting to organise around it, which I think is fantastic. I mean, I think that could be a really good thing. Um, yeah, I think it will. I mean, we we I I tried with some success to get a Cotswolds one going, um, but it was when pubs were open at the time, but it was really bedwetty, and we managed to uh, secure a venue um, in a small town not not too far from me, run by a very lovely lady who's been an absolute legend in the whole anti-lockdown movement right from the beginning. She set up or she helped to set up the uh, Lockdown Skeptics Facebook group for when some of us were still on Facebook. Right. Um, and we had a kind of speakeasy uh, private function. Um, I think it was about two months ago, something like that. Um, and it was pretty good. But we, ha we haven't really managed to get into too much of a vibe yet. We've had, a, we had another private one um, a few weeks back, and I, I met, um, I've met a few of the Third Wednesday crowd. I met Simon. I met Dick and they're both lovely. And, and I think that um, it's a, it's a fantastic movement. And I, and I think that we, we need to get into our, you know, get into our vibe a bit, um, you know, down this way, because, you know, there's plenty of us in this area. We just need to try and find somewhere good to go um, and, and just get it going. But uh, I was planning on going to Worcester myself, but I, um, I'm not able to make tomorrow. And I, unfortunately I'm having an operation on my foot in a couple of weeks time and that's going to, yeah. I'm not going to be able to drive for a couple of months, which uh, is going to be a bit of a pain. That's but um, have you? Is that going to cause you a problem in terms of the hospital and not being jabbed and everything? Do you think, or are you going to be? No, I, I'm fortunate to be able to have it done privately. So, um, but no, I'm not jabbed. I, I've got to have my first ever PCR test, which I yeah. can't avoid, and I'm having it on Monday, uh, next Monday, and. Um, so, I mean, sod law, that's going to be positive, isn't it? Because, you know, most yeah. of them are false. So um, so I may not make uh, make another um, third Wednesday for a while, but but I highly recommend it. I mean, they, you meet some... One of the nicest things about third Wednesday is you don't have to say... You don't have to explain why you're there. Hmm. It's just handshakes all round, a few drinks. Um, and in my experience, you talk more about interesting things about life in general than you do about oh you know i hate lockdown yes do you hate lockdown as well it's not like that at all it's um just a load of um people glowing with health <laughs> by the look of most of them you can pretty much assume that they're they're unvaccinated um not that i'm making a suggestion that those two things are in any, in any way connected um but it was, uh, you know, I spent half the time uh, on the last one I went to talking about whiskey with a very interesting chap. Um, so that was good fun. Well, I, I am going to go, I think the first one I'm going to be able to go to, all things being uh, equal, is going to be November. So I'm planning, I mean, I think there will be some sort of lockdown by then, but I'm hoping one way or another I might be able to work it out that I can get to one. Um, and if there is one, I'm going to go to the November one with Worcester. But I would also like to go around some of the others. So um, I've got an invitation from um, uh, Mr. Zero, Zero Hero, who's mm. um, invited me down to his neck of the woods. Um, so I want to try and do that as well. And I'd also like to get up to the Northwest. Um, 
and um, and and meet some of the guys up in the northwest too. So I would like to sort of get around and, and to all of them, but I um haven't been to any yet. But I Worcester will be my local if you like, because that's literally well, it was just down the road. It's a little bit further now, but it's still the closest. Well, I'd like to get up to the Worcester one, and my my um I actually bought some of the cigarette cards that Dick Dellingpole does. Um, right. Because my son is a bit of a history buff, and he uh, he's quite into the Napoleonic era and that sort of thing. His uh, his uh, his favourite one of his favourite films is Waterloo. The other two are Zulu and Master and Commander. So I think he's on right. the right on the right lines. <laughs> but, films, but, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they are. And I bought him a set of Dick's um, cigarette cards, which I highly recommend. Um, and uh, so I met Dick. Uh, he came down to one of the Cotswold ones. Um, and um, and we had a good chat. So my son would actually love to come to a third Wednesday. Um, oh, he keeps bugging me about wanting to come, but uh, he looks about seventeen, so he'll probably get away with it. Well, basically, given what the government are saying, he's able to um, decide for himself. I think he could do anything, there, can't he? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> indeed. Well, actually, he's a bit of a fan of whiskey, but uh, we try and limit that. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah, they want to keep him off that for a little while. It's, well, he um, quite likes uh, he quite likes Pendere in that Welsh one, but uh, he's allowed a he's allowed a tiny a tiny nip. On high days and holidays, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I think I'm probably old enough because um, I'm in my mid fifties, and I'm, um, I think I'm of the generation that I'm pretty sure that if I was teething when I was a little kid or um, wasn't sleeping, I'm pretty sure that I would have probably have been given a little tipple of something on a on a finger or you know in the milk or you know a, oh a, yeah, tea, half a teaspoon or something. That, um, so would you probably... remember gripe? Would you remember gripe water? Yeah. I can actually that, the taste um, of it. Well, yeah, it tasted like gin, didn't it? it was, yeah, so I, I, I can remember it. I can kind of remember it, but not remember it. But it's a very distinctive taste, definitely. Yes, yeah. I liked it. I think it had alcohol in those days. Oh, really? Oh, well, that would yeah. explain a lot. My lifestyle is now making a lot of sense. Yeah, so, exactly. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> Nature and nurture. So, yeah, so, quite. So, um, Duncan, we're at one minute. We're, you know, I said we're going to keep it under an hour. We're at one hour forty-eight minutes. Oh crikey! So we've 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 burst we've bust well through our hour, but I do want to try and keep it to a manageable amount. Um, yes, of there, course. Was That's there, um, was there anything else you had on your mind that you wanted to you wanted to table, or that you had that hadn't you hadn't heard us talking about before that you wanted to talk about? So I'm, I'm sorry. Um, no, not really. I mean, the only thing really is, I mean, one of the, because I know we were sort of umming and eyeing about whether to have a chat. And I know that when you, when you spoke with Simon Roberts recently, you know, you were, you were bemoaning quite rightly the state of, of human resources in this country. And I, I couldn't agree more with what, what you were saying. And I, I've become almost embarrassed to, to describe myself as an HR consultant. And like I said earlier, I often prefer the term personnel. Um, but I think that, HR as an industry is very good at making work for itself and the majority of that work and, and also making work for other people. Um, and, and the majority of that work is unnecessary. Um, and HR shouldn't cast a long shadow over the organization. I mean, basically HR should serve the organization and, and do what's necessary. And most human resource departments could probably be cut by about 90% and still function quite happily. Um, and so, you know, uh, I just really wanted to say that I do, I do agree with that. And um, you know, if anyone thinks, oh God, he's got an HR person on the show, then um, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a freelance personnel officer, and perhaps that's the yeah, that's the that's... best way to to well, think I, about it. Given that, I mean, I in my early years of 
my very early career, I was an estate agent. So, I mean, I've got, I really can't talk. And, um, and given now that I risk to hazard a guess that probably, um, certainly journalists and probably incredibly doctors are now pretty low on the level of, um, respect as well. Um, it, I don't suppose it matters what it, it's more what you think than what you do, isn't it? But, um, and it's nice to have a yeah. wide skill base. It'd be interesting at one of these third Wednesdays to perhaps get some ideas off people. Um, because I'm yeah. sure there must be a wide range of different skills and um, experiences that you could draw on. I think that's one of the reasons why it's good to have people on the ground that have actually made personal relationships. Um, it's incredibly important. And, and you know, not everybody you're going to be bosom buddies with. Um, I mean, the good example is Stand in the Park, which I know we haven't mentioned yet. Mm. And we, we've been to a couple of Stand in the Parks. Um, and, you know, all of human life truly is there, isn't there? You've got, you've got uh, a very, very wide range of people. I mean, you know, the one, one of the ones we went to, one of the, pers- one of the people there you know, buttonholed my wife and started telling her all about how, you know, Hitler was misunderstood and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, she's, you know, you know, nodded and smiled politely. And, uh, you know, so, so you really do get everything. But uh, it, it's unless you try, you don't know. And I think one of the things when you get, I mean, I'm in my slightly early 50s and you're in your sort of middish 50s, but we're a similar age. And I think one of the, one of the things you you get to, and this is certainly true of me, is that you sort of, you've got a set of friends and you think, well, that's pretty much my friends now. I'm not going to probably make any more really. Um, and then you realize, well, in the last 18 months, you realize that um, that's, that's wrong. And actually you really do need some new friends. Mm. And I think anyone who is feeling lonely or, or um, in need of new friends, it takes work and it takes effort. And even if you've got to drive 50 miles to go to a third Wednesday, you know, go to one and keep going yeah. and go to stand in the park if there is one near you, because it, you know, again, you're not going to be instant bosom buddies with people. But, you know, for example, I, uh, on the day that they stopped the mask mandate on the 19th of July, I went to the local supermarket purely as a social experiment. I didn't actually need anything, but I went there. And almost everybody was wearing a mask. And I happened to be standing next to this bloke, and he was the only other chap in there who wasn't wearing a mask. And, um, you know, Aldi sell all this useless stuff in the middle. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, ang- I'm not saying angle grinders are useless, but, you know, yeah. you don't generally buy them with your, with your groceries, do you? Old, old and, combination uh, of things, aren't they? Yeah. Old combination. And we were, we were contemplating the virtues of this, God knows what it was, angle grinder or something. And uh, we were chatting about it. And I and I just said to him, um, are you a bit surprised how, how many people are still wearing masks? And then the floodgates opened. And instantly we were of the same mind. And we were chatting for about half an hour about all the nonsense of everything. It turned out we lived in the same village, although I didn't know him. We ended up swapping phone numbers, which looked a bit suspect in the middle of the supermarket, <laughs> as you can imagine. But, you know, we're, we're men of the world. So, you know, we did that. Anyway, we've been to a barbecue at their house um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and they're coming round here soon. And um, I have no idea whether this short acquaintance will become a longer term thing. But 
it might, it might not. I don't, I don't care. But you know, it's just nice to have a social evening with people that are just not discussing the merits of the Pfizer versus the AstraZeneca jab, which is yeah. what a lot of normies are talking about. And so I think that every opportunity that anyone gets to have a conversation with somebody who may appear to be of the same mind, you just don't know where it leads. Um, and if we, if there was ever a time when we need people around us, then that time is now. Very wise words, and I, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, I live alone. I'm, I'm um, single, and uh, I think I'm a pretty. I, I can live. I'm quite happy in my own company, which is fortunate. Um, um, but you can imagine it's been, especially at the heart of the lockdown. Even though I didn't really pay it a lot of attention, it, it's no good if everyone else is. So I was rather. Um, I have been rather isolated, not working uh, for a long, large number of months, and all the rest of it. Um, but I've been fairly robust, I think. I think I'm still fairly robust. I've kind of got my head in the right place. But I think, I don't know if you've noticed when you were on there, but I've noticed on Twitter there are a lot of people now, or a good number of people, that are really looking a bit frayed. And, yeah. um, and uh. today there was a sad story of, a, uh, in fact, two people who had um, who had committed suicide. One, I think, was being... Um, it was being pursued by some complete and utter nutcase on Twitter and being stalked and everything. So I don't think that was necessarily linked. But, you know, the, it, there are a lot of desperate people out there. And I, I do rather, I think I've got my head straight for the winter, but uh, I think this winter could be very tough because if we go through another winter like we've just been through last, well, I say just been through last year, um, based on the last two years, um, it's a lot to it's a lot to get through if you haven't got support. So I think, um, I think you're absolutely right. If you can get out there and do a third Wednesday or do a stand in the park or, uh, anything like that, it's a, it's, it, even just one meeting would probably just set your reset button. I suspect, um, it can be a tonic for the, it can be a tonic for the soul. It really can. And even having an uplifting conversation with someone of a similar mind. Um, <clears throat> and of course you might, <clears throat> you know, you might disagree on, politics you may have very little in common but at least you've got this yeah. and i think um you know ha having a break from twitter i think is pretty healthy from time to time because it can drive you mad yeah. um you know this i mean i left facebook ages ago because it just again to use the vernacular it just did my head in <laughs> um <laughs> and but i mean as i said i i am fortunate i'm fairly recently married um which uh, which isn't nice, you know, yeah. second time around, and you know, very happily married, um, and 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 I've got children. Um, but actually, I wanted to say something actually mm -hmm. to you and to others as well. It is that one of the things that I've been almost in awe of actually is how many people um, on our side who are prepared to be vocal who don't have um, children, mm. um, and there are certain people I've met who um, are, are passionate about protecting children and, and they don't have skin in the game, They, you know, in that sense. But yeah, quite literally, yeah. yeah. But they're still prepared to to stand up. Um, and, and I think, you know, particularly for single people, you know, getting through the winter, it's really important to just make these connections. And, um, I mean, I mean, everyone hates Zoom drinks. I mean, Zoom drinks are a vile invention. But, I mean, you know, if you live halfway around the country, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, a few whiskeys and a good old chat with a mate hundred miles away is better than nothing at all. 
Yeah. I mean, I did, we did... Um, I set up a, a Zoom group for... Um, for all of the oldies in my village, um, you know, sort of over 70, and um, set it up and they've and managed to you know, set up a little how-to on how to use Zoom and everything, put it on the village website. And um, and that's still going strong now, and they have two or three or four different groups all meeting every... And so it's fantastic, really, because a lot of them are... And this is telling. A lot of them, including my mother, are nowhere near as mobile now as they were 18 months ago. Um, surprise 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 exactly so and i mean they're not sort of lazy catch potatoes they would normally you know being out in the garden and stuff but you know you just if you're not out and about and you know going to coffee well, absolutely and, all that sort yeah. of stuff. and they've all absolutely. played by the rules completely because you know it's well the government says this and the government says that so um so they're doing zoom and let's work for them um and i i have done the odd zoom with uh mates right at the beginning um when it was all a bit new and it was like well we've got to do something so let's have a go at that and um no they were pretty dire but i think i think if yes maybe a few glasses of um something strong and uh or, or you know watch a film together because you could now stream films together can't you although the trouble with that is i'm I've yeah. got two, i if i'm want if i'm going to watch a film i want to watch a film i don't want to be constantly chatting through it so that, that's oh yeah me just, too yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a grumpy that's wrong like that. yeah and then the other thing and the other thing on the same exactly the same part of my personality is that if i'm if i'm um with a girl and we're out eating and i say do you want chips as a side order and she says no i'll have some of yours uh i'll just get two lots of chips that's it. Just well, that's a yeah. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's just you know, typical being... bloke thing. I, but I, but I, yeah, I, it's, it's what divides men and women. I said, so, well, why? I don't want two. Yes, but I want all of mine. <laughs> so I'll buy you. I'll buy you all yours. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. And if you don't want them, then I'll have the rest. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going to. Sorry, God. I was going to say. I was going to say to you, how, how's your your work been? You say you're self-employed. I mean. Oh, it's got, been dreadful. It's got... been absolutely dreadful. I haven't worked. I've I've worked. Um, so uh, since March two thousand and twenty, I've done about five weeks' work. That's um, crazy, isn't it? So I can now work again as of the nineteenth of July. Um. Uh, but um, I hadn't. I I hadn't booked anything until August and then things happened in August with my, my mother being ill and stuff so I had to cancel that so I haven't actually worked since the 19th of June I oh, know I've done one weekend so I've got um so I've done a little bit of work I've, I am doing a I'm doing a yacht delivery from um Genoa to Lefkas in Greece um which I'm doing uh in October so I'm looking forward to that although I'm looking forward to it, but the problem is, like you say, with PCR, I'm going to have to have my first PCR test, which I'm not looking forward to. Um, and because I'm not jabbed, as a seafarer, actually, a lot of this doesn't... The travel... Pro I don't have to isolate anywhere unless I've got... Unless I get a positive test. So if I went to... If I ended up in Levkaz after I've delivered the yacht and Greece was then red-listed, if I was just... Uh, you know, um, a surveyor, for example, I'd have to come back and I'd have to spend 10 days in an expensive, crappy hotel in Heathrow, um, which is ridiculous. 
but if because I'm I've I've got a seafarer's um, ticket, I don't have to isolate, so I can come back and uh, I have to take a test uh, three days in or something, and then and the normal travel test before I leave, and that's all I have to do. So apparently, seafarers don't spread the virus. It would seem, but um, well, uh, yeah, so it's I, probably all the rum, isn't it? It might be, yeah, uh, the sea, and the, one of the and, two. and the and the sodomy and the lash. <laughs> yeah, the virus is the least of our worries. But it's... Uh, <laughs> it's... it's uh, so, I, so I've got the... So yeah, I've done virtually nothing. But I am doing a little bit. But I am a bit concerned because it's it's into October. I should get that one job done. Then I think it's going to be... I think just travelling over the winter is going to be a nightmare because I think it'll be, you know, yeah. uh, the same again. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But um, We will. We will. Um, we'll see. But um, yeah, good. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk. Well, it's been good fun. Good to speak. I know we have you know, had the old exchange of messages and stuff. So it's um, it's really good to um, to catch up. And yeah, well, what we'll have to do is I hope your um, your foot operation goes well. Um, thank you. So and, do I. Um, and once you're mobile again, um, so it sounds like it's going to be probably Christmas time or after Christmas by the sound you're... By yeah, the you're... probably. I mean, if I can get uh, my good lady wife to ferry me around, I may well see you at a third Wednesday. Yeah, because I, look, look, I do plan to go to the Worcester one. So uh, you never know. We might be able to enjoy a drink in in IRL, as they say. Exactly. No, that would be fantastic. Well, and also a perfect excuse if you can't drive. Yes, if you could get the... Uh, if you can get the wife... Well, yes. Very true, yes. So that's brilliant. Well, thank you. Well, fantastic. Well, Duncan, thank you very much for um, for uh, giving us two hours of your time. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that you've listened to, I know, a lot of these podcasts, and I think um, a lot of people, again, like the Third Wednesday thing and, and the Stand in the Park and everything else, it's, it's quite nice sometimes just to listen to people and think, you know what, that's exactly where I am or, or you know, yeah, it is. about this or whatever. But um I hope it does some good at least, and we've managed to keep it under. We're at just over two hours, which is a lot better than I managed with one or two other people, where we, where we pushed on into the early hours, probably because we were both drinking, whereas I've been on cups of tea. So, um, so that might be the reason. But um, fantastic to talk to you, and um, I'm very impressed with your principal stand on. Uh, on the vaccine side of things, with your business, I think that's admirable. And no, oh, thank you. It's easy to. It's easy to insist people, like with people with pubs, where people are insisting just open and we'll support you. It's all well and good until your livelihood's on the line or, you know, you've, it really makes a personal cost. So I think um, uh, it isn't easy to do those sort of things. So congratulations. And um, and I'm sure we'll speak again through the ether um, before we meet in person at the third Wednesday, um, perhaps in Worcester. Exactly. And also, just lastly, thank you for doing this, because these these things are a labour of love and, you know, it takes time and effort. And um, you may you may feel sometimes that you're speaking into the ether, um, <laughs> but people are listening. And I think um, I know from personal experience that uh, that it does good. So, you know, you are doing good. good. So well, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. that. That's very kind of you to say, and I mean, I mean, lots of other people doing similar things, and I, and and I listen to a lot of them. Um, try to keep things varied, and it's been great to speak to a variety of different people, including yourself. So I think, um, hopefully, I'm going to try and continue that, uh, and and as I get better, be able to get more information out of my guests over a shorter period of time, which I'm sure will be something that everybody is grateful for. But um, 
in the meantime, Duncan, thank you very much. And um, thanks for joining us on Vox Pop. And uh, we'll speak again in real life very soon. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.